0: Fire Radio. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the National Fire Radio podcast. As 2023 gets going, we're making some changes. And so real quick, before we launch into the daily episode, I just want to hit on a couple things. If you like what you're hearing, we appreciate the support. Please give us a five-star rating on the audio players. It helps promote the podcast and get its popularity up. And I certainly appreciate all all the effort that our community brings to the table in supporting us in the mission of National Fire Radio. Give us that five-star review. Subscribe, like the page, send us your comments. And this is the fun part about what we're doing this year. We created a new email address for you all to send us your thoughts, ideas, and comments or questions or concerns or hate or love, or anything else in between, you can email us at podcast at nationalfireradio.com. What that email address will do is it will come as a direct line of source for information regarding the podcast. And so if you have anything that you want to hit us up about the podcast, sponsorship opportunities, ad reads to questions, thoughts, and ideas. We're going to be rolling out a question and answer episode once a week, and it's going to be directly from the emails that are sent in to podcast at nationalfireradio.com. So take advantage of that. Send us your thoughts and ideas and questions, and we'd love to answer them on the air. And lastly, I just got to mention our website, nationalfireradio.com is where you can get any of the swag that we're putting out all of the merchandise that we sell goes right back to supporting the podcast and the National Fire Radio brand. We are super excited for 2023. We have a lot coming out, and I can't wait to share it with you all. Stay tuned. Thanks for tuning in. Now, the podcast. Our first sponsor of the podcast, Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his crew have been manufacturing helmet fronts, aluminum helmet fronts, since 2017, over 200,000 plus shields have been manufactured by Taylor and his crew, custom helmet fronts shipped within 24 to 48 hours, whether it's one piece to a 500 piece department order, they'll get them out under two days. They're doing incredible work, 100% customizable product. Their product is top shelf. Not only are they doing aluminum helmet fronts, they're doing gas cards, playing cards, keychains, medical cards and charts. Pump charts, street signs, custom signs, banquet awards, you name it, they're doing it. Go to taylorstins.com, And if you do order, use this promo code NFR Sent Me, all one word, NFR Sent Me. You'll get 15% off at checkout. That's because we have a strong relationship and friendship with Taylor from Taylor's Tins. They've been a longtime supporter of the National Fire Radio platform, and I appreciate their support and friendship. Without further ado, the daily episode. Hey, everybody. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. We're back on the podcast today. A very special guest, a guy that's been on the show once or twice before. He's a guy that makes me smile, man. Jonathan Brumley, straight out of Denver, Colorado, engine company number three. This guy is an engine company guy through and through. Jonathan, thanks for joining me, buddy.
1: Man, I really appreciate the time and for... The opportunity.
0: You're ridiculous. I love what guys say that. Thanks for the opportunity. Get out of here, man. It's just, this is literally a selfish act for me. That's all National Fire Radio is. It's 100% selfish. It allows me to talk to guys like you that allow me to be better in life. So don't thank me. I'm thanking you. Thank you for your hour of time today for the podcast. I love catching up with you. Uh, how was Christmas? Good?
1: Christmas is it. Fantastic. I worked uh, Christmas Eve. We were crazy busy because of all of the weather. Yeah, we ran 20 broken water pipes that day. Uh, But then got to come home and uh, had some close family at the house on uh, Christmas Day. Awesome.
0: Well, I do know it should be said on top of that brief intro, I, I could have talked for hours about you, but I gave a real quick intro. But I also know that one of the most or the most important thing in your world is your family. And I know how, uh, you know, how uh, important your wife and your kids are to you. And uh, we've learned that through other episodes with you and just chatting with you offline. Um, I just know how important they are and how they keep you grounded. So uh, I can appreciate that. And it's nice that you got to spend Christmas with them. So very cool.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. They're waiting on me right now to go sledding. So Oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> what the rest of the day holds.
0: <laughs> jeez like uh, listen man we could do this another time you're making me feel bad <laughs> now you poor kids are like looking at dad through the window right now come on dad let's go let's go so
1: that's uh, good cool. oh, well, they know this is what i need to do right
0: now that's uh, good man and you know it, that's an important conversation too is knowing when you need some of your own time too and like for me i know that i have to find that fine balance and some it's not a 50 50 it's a 30 70 60 40 conversation sometimes i need more family sometimes i need more fire right and you know, it's, it's how you find that balance, I think, is what makes you really well-rounded and grounded, too.
1: No doubt. No doubt. I'm on a Kelly day right now, so uh, the last five days have been great. I'll go back tomorrow.
0: Nice. Uh, but, yeah,
1: you can't overstate it enough how important it is to love the ones that you're with.
0: I, amen to that, brother. I couldn't agree with you more. Well, let's hop into it, man. 2023, this is going to be playing the first week of the new year. So going into the new year, I know you and I were chatting right before I hit the record button. We were talking about some popular topics, things that people have been asking you or conversations you've been getting involved with. And you brought up standpipe operations, high-rise operations, no, no, uh, nozzle and hose packages for those types of operations. And I, then my next question to you very much was this. Why is it becoming such a popular conversation in today's fire service? I have been seeing on social media, in the conferences, and the people that are teaching and and screaming about it, there's a tremendous amount of talk about high-rise operations, standpipe operations, and the correct nozzle and hose pairings. Why is it so prevalent today?
1: Well, I think where it starts is the fact that a lot of fire departments, especially ones that have been around for a while, built an attack package let's say back in the 90s
0: and for a lot of those
1: fire departments they took you know 100 feet of inch and three quarter they threw a fog nozzle on the end of it maybe even put it in a backpack or something like that and they called that their high-rise pack and uh, because the conversation has kind of extended due to things like a truck that we just had um, and it's a little more prevalent at some of these conferences guys are realizing like oh shoot maybe this attack package that we thought was going to work for us back in the 90s isn't exactly what uh, what everybody else is, is doing at this point and there's a specific reason for that and buildings just aren't built to support 100 feet of inch and three-quarter with a fog muzzle and that's due to NFPA requirements but I think even more so than that Think what has changed in the last couple of years, and I don't know exactly when the trend started, but let's let's call it within the last 10 years. You're starting to see so many fire departments get these buildings in their jurisdiction, where they're four to five story multifamilies with center hallway setups, and that's in the middle of suburbia now. So you can have a town of 50,000, and some builder is going to come into your city and put a building like that into place. So we're not talking about necessarily having to worry about these 40 and 50 story high rises for every single fire department but all of a sudden it's not just the hotel that's in our jurisdiction that we have yeah. to worry about we're having to to worry about significantly different buildings within the last 10 years and they lend themselves to stampite firefighting um, i know that in my particular jurisdiction we have several of them that the footprint is a block by one block and you just can't park your fire apparatus anywhere around there. And by our SOGs, we're taking the first and engine and we're putting them on the fire department connection to support the standpipe, to support the sprinklers. And there's a good chance that a fire could be on the opposite side of the building. So you don't have the opportunity to stretch from the hose bed on those. And your plan A is going to be standpipe outlet. So I think people are starting to recognize, oh man, these are in my jurisdiction and we really have to worry about it now.
0: So that's a fun conversation because until you were just chatting, I'm like sitting here scribbling all these notes. I think about my first do. It's a volunteer department, a home response, seven hundred six to seven hundred runs a year, right? And what the build up in our community? We have some low income housing obligations that they've had to build three and four story apartment buildings. They're kind of townhouse condo, but they're three four story. But because they were, they're more of a low income obligation to provide. Uh, affordable housing within the community. There's no elevators, so we're hand stretching, mm-hmm. right? We're hand stretching up these buildings. Then I think about the three, four, and five story, fifty-five and older living facilities that have been that have sprung up over the last few years, right? And and we have standpipes in the stairwells, uh, but then we have long. Long lays down the hallways. I mean, you got 150, 200 foot stretch from stairwell to stairwell. Right. And so that becomes now a much more prevalent issue. So I, I would agree with you. I mean, even in the sleepy suburban community that I'm familiar with in my daily firefighting activities. We have seen incredible sprawl here, and the sprawl, the, the problem is, is we don't have any more space to expand, so everything starts to go up. And as they as we start pushing up, you know, uh, assisted living facilities, 55 and older, low-income housing, and all these other obligations that builders are coming in and trying to pack into these lots, like you said, block by block, our, our response uh, demographic, our response operations certainly has to change with that
1: it certainly does and i think where we really have to to dive into the weeds on some of these things especially if you're stretching off of a standpipe is recognizing that stretch distance has changed for us as well yeah so talking to you know some of your older east coast fire departments their standards are such that the 150 foot stretch is going to be what they do and when I look at some of the buildings in my territory now, allowances because of sprinklers and mid hallway cabinets have, have caused us to have stretches and hallways that are potentially four to five hundred feet long. Yeah, if we're choosing like the wrong stairwell, for instance. So recon becomes incredibly com- important and an understanding that it's not just going to be 150 feet of hose that's going to get us from point A to point B, we might be talking about having to pair multiple companies together and put together a 350-foot line, even though it's a standpipe operation. And I think that that's what people need to recognize is that um, it's going to be a pressure issue because of the limitations of that outlet, uh, which is very different than stretching off of the rig. And I I think we also have to, to say as well, if you're going to be stretching in these buildings, And you have the opportunity to yeah, stretch off of the rig like that is a much better option and you don't have pressure issues and stuff. But when it comes to those situations where you're going to be walking and walking and walking for what seems like an eternity, stretching from the rig isn't going to be the best option. Uh, and so we have to have an attack package built, ready to go for those low pressure standpipe outlets.
0: Do you guys, uh, do you guys have a recon team? Like does the truck company go in and, and search for the apartment of origin or how, how do you guys, I mean, because the the worst thing is, is to commit to the wrong stairwell, right? Like you were alluding to, right? Because then that makes, absolutely yeah. So just talk to me about that process a little bit.
1: So it, it obviously is going to depend on the arrival of the different apparatus, but let's just talk about our first in engine, our first end truck. So as I alluded to, our first in engine is typically going to park at the fire department connection. That may or may not be by the front door. I don't know.
0: Right. But
1: hopefully it's somewhat near a, a Knox box where we have access to the building from that particular location. And for us as an engine company, we're going directly to the fire panel. So that we can start that recon process, trying to figure out where are these alarms coming from, how many alarms, what type of alarms, and then looking for that closest stairwell to the alarms that are showing on the panel. In the meantime, it is highly likely in downtown Denver that a truck company is going to arrive while we're starting that process. Right. They will either join us at the panel or just kind of hit us up over the radio and, and ask if we've determined a stairwell yet. And they are going to ascend to the fire floor as fast as possible. And I think that does a couple of things for us. I think that that solidifies our stairwell. It also gives the opportunity to see what they can do to compartmentalize that fire as well, which is huge. Yes. Because there can be a significant amount of reflex time for those engine companies to get hose lines on the floor below, set up, then stretched up to the fire floor. Uh, So having having a company, whether it's a truck, whether it's another engine, get to the fire floor, see if they can't start closing doors, see if they can't get a quick knock with uh, uh, a water can, something like that to to keep that in check. And then, I mean, obviously, beginning that search process, is huge, because none of us wants to get in that situation where it takes us, you know, five, 10 minutes to, to set up as an engine company. All the while, you know, we've got civilians on that floor who haven't right. even been addressed at that point. So it's absolutely important to get people on that fire floor as quick as possible and uh, begin that process of, of recon, search and compartmentalization if possible.
0: Yeah, I think the, the conversation of patience, right? I mean, you know, you, you have to locate before you can commit, especially on a stretch like that. And And typically, sometimes there's not resources available you know in, in in where you are, you have multiple companies coming in and arriving in, in a pecking order that's pretty probably on top of each other, I would think downtown and so you know there's other aspects though, like in communities like mine where you know you might be on your own for a few minutes and uh, and to be able to stretch with a three man company to the third floor to be able to locate that fire apartment i mean there's there's a lot of things here, but I think that the upfront patience of not committing until you need to commit um, will pay dividends in the long run. So it might seem Absolutely. that the, the patience is stalling forward progression, but in fact it's speeding it up because you're narrowing in on where where, and how to operate most effectively.
1: Certainly. So, I mean, let's let's take it to a situation where let's say it's a three-man engine that arrives on scene first. To one of these buildings, how I would operate that is, you know, a lot of times the engineer is going to stay down below, they're going to go to the panel, they're going to be um, operating systems, they're going to be hooking up to the FDC, and then that boss and the firefighter are going to have to climb up those stairs or take the elevator if it's appropriate, right? Uh, and go to that floor below, and then at that point, as a boss, I think you have to have the realization that I got to split off for a second, and for that Firefighter, I'm comfortable with my boss going up and doing a little bit of bird dogging in that situation because it's going to save us so much effort on the back end. Hell yeah. So before I make any connections on that standpipe outlet as a backup firefighter, I'm listening for a couple of things from my boss.
0: I want to know, A, is
1: this the right stairwell? I want to know how long is this stretch going to be? And then is this going to be a situation where we can stretch to the fire apartment or do we have to save this in the stairwell? So if I can get those three pieces of information by simply sending my boss ahead to check those things out, we're going to be so much better off than if we just rush, we grab an outlet, we hook it all up, and we try to charge our line before ever getting eyes on that particular fire.
0: Yeah. And then, like
1: I said, if if my boss can get on that fire floor and do something as simple as closing a door to that fire apartment, that will change things for our stretch significantly. And I'm not necessarily waiting for that hallway to be completely clean. I, I just need a situation where I can have dry hose, whether or not it's smoky and just simply change it. Closing a door can, can be night and day difference on that. So uh, even though it sounds like we're, you know, getting into some freelancing there by splitting guys up and having them operate by themselves as a three-man company, first in on an engine in suburbia, like, that has
0: to be done. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's freelancing at all. And in fact, I think freelancing just is is a term that we like to apply to guys that, you know, need to go do a job and they they have to do it alone. You know, too often we're taught that jobs aren't done individually and yet on the fire ground and real in in reality is we're all working alone typically all the time, you know? And mm-hmm. and so we have to be confident in our skills and abilities and understand what every guy on that company is doing and where he fits in. And I think that's what makes the difference, right? Because when, if you do arrive and you have a stretch like that, I mean, not only is your chauffeur respons- for, responsible for hooking up to the FDC to get the water into the pipe, but he might also be stretching that feeder line, or you know, if it's a two-story walk-up, and he might not, he might elect to skip the pipe and go right to running your own, say, three-inch line up the interior or something, right? So there's a lot of audibles that get called on fires like this. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you. Th- let me ask you this. I think, and you alluded to it before, and I think you're right, when when we originally put together high-rise bundles and extended lay packs, whatever you want to call them, we built it based upon uh, that one hotel or that one office building that was in our first due. And now that we've had expansion and sprawl, it is critical that we go back and start looking at stretches, pre-planning buildings, and then, you know, walking those floors and actually stretching in these buildings to really determine lengths and I think a lot of the packages that uh, that many departments carry today are inadequate in doing the right job from the get
1: uh, I would agree with you and I think that that's kind of what spurned so much of this conversation yeah. people are recognizing that their attack package is inadequate but the opposite side of that now is you know over the last you know 10 years I would say even even less than that let's say five years, you have so many different hose sizes and hose tips on the market now that people recognize that I have an inadequate attack package, but they don't know where to go from there because there's so many other options available. And so that's something now that I think people will have to recognize is that, yes, there's all of these options available to you, but it's not just pick and choose based on weight or pick and choose based on you know what another jurisdiction is doing. You have to understand the buildings that are in your territory and recognize that your attack package has to meet the needs of your specific territory.
0: Yeah, I love, and you mentioned 10, maybe five years, but the fact that we've educated the fire service enough to know there's options now, right? Like, I, I have never in 28 years in a fire service— Maybe up until the last few years, have we tested hoses and nozzles together? But literally, if you showed up and they swapped the line out on the engine the night before, you didn't, you didn't know anything about it. That's our, that's Absolutely our main... Absolutely not. You know, that's our primary line. It's the inch and three-quarter of the with a smoothbore, and, and we flow it at this, and we do this, and blah, blah, blah. Like, and it didn't matter whose nozzle or whose hose it was, but at least we've done a good job, I think, now diving into the industry and understanding that, okay, yeah, it's hose and nozzles but it goes deeper than that now. And we have a responsibility as as a learning culture that we are, an inquisitive culture that we've become, we have a, a responsibility to now do our homework and determine what actually works well for us. And it should be said that I don't think individual departments should be doing that on their own. I think there's too many options out there now, and I think they need to talk with industry insiders, guys that do this for a living. And I'm not talking company salesmen. I'm talking guys like yourself and other names in the industry that tour and teach and talk at conferences. You know, they should be, we we should be extending an invitation for guys to come in and educate the fire companies about, or fire departments about what's available out there. Because when you have too many choices, chances are you might build a package that still is not representative of what you need because you didn't have the knowledge going into it.
1: I, I, I do agree with you. I do. The, the knowledge is available. Yeah. And it's not that difficult to find. So go out and find it. And, and it's not just a matter of flipping through a catalog that a manufacturer has provided you. Yeah, all. exactly. Because... If I tell manufacturer, hey, hey, this is the type of hose I want, they will provide that to you, no questions asked. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's, that's if exactly you bring my in point. These right. Subject matter experts, uh, whoever that individual is, sure, right. they will be able to walk you through that process so much easier. And I think what guys have to realize too is we want to talk about these things, you know. So if I call up this individual who I respect and I know know so much about staying in pipes. They want to talk fire just as much as you do. That's right. So uh, don't be afraid to reach out.
0: And, and I love it because you, <laughs> I literally said to you before I hit the record button, you made a comment and you said, who do I want to learn with? Right, I asked you about like how you're doing conferences and teaching, and we're gonna get to all that in a little bit. But your answer to me was, "Who do I want to learn with?" And that's exactly that: guys that are dialed in, are subject matter experts, and people that love the fire service in different aspects of the job, whether it's apparatus building, hose and nozzle pairings, right? Whatever it is, right? Find those subject matter experts and and ask them about what their thoughts are, what what might be the right way to go about it because in this day and age when you have so many choices if you don't do the legwork that most of us probably aren't gonna do i'll be honest it's just it's you know to to do homework on hose nose hose and nozzle pairings unless you have a guy that's really dialed in on that topic most guys don't give a shit what they're putting the fire out with right i mean that's just facts Right. So that is
1: absolutely that's facts.
0: So then we should, as as an administration, a command command staff, if we're looking at making sure that we're providing the right hose and nozzle packages for this type of firefighting, we need to make sure that the people that are helping us make those decisions are guided in the fact that they're educated in knowing what makes a difference and what works and doesn't work. And we shouldn't be formulating our own opinions on short sidedness or being uneducated.
1: I I agree. And we can't just stop at one particular aspect of it all. It can't be price. Right. It can't be hose weight. It can't be hose construction. It can't be uh, the gallons per minute that a particular thing is going to flow. All of those things have to be incorporated into the conversation. It's not just a matter of one specific piece of it. We have to look at it as a whole. Yeah. And... and that will completely change our abilities to fight fires in in some of these buildings. And that's the case off of our crosslays as well. it's, It's not just as simple as how can I come up with the most affordable attack package, or how can I come up with the prettiest loading attack package? No, like those things don't matter when it comes to creating an attack package that is beneficial to everyone involved, the firefighters stretching it, the people operating the nozzle, The people that we're going in to save—it's a holistic conversation for sure. So don't get hung up on one particular part of it.
0: No, I—you're a hundred percent right, and I—and this is this is what I think. You know, we need to do more of is as our sprawl is happening, and we're getting more and more of these buildings that are starting to go higher, right? Two, three, four, five story, right? The mid rises. And so on. This is where we really got to start looking at our delivery of services. And not only that, but, you know, getting effective water quickly in place and on the fire floor to the seat of that fire makes the problem better. And we're we're in a multiple occupancy. So we're talking more people, more firefighters that are in harm's way. Right. And so on. So we're putting a lot of people into this building. We better be prepared to have the right line to the seat of that fire.
1: No doubt. No doubt. So please reach out and ask questions of people who know what they're talking about.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I think another interesting conversation, too, is with the sprawl, with the building um, and and so on, we're looking at different types of mid-rise and high-rise buildings now, too. And a lot of them are ordinary, con- you know, constructed out of lumber, right? They're not steel. Uh, you know, we're talking lightweight construction, truss construction construction. Gusset plates, we're talking modified or engineered lumber, all this stuff, right? Whereas you look at the traditional, uh, you know, buildings of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, right? Fireproofing, they're fireproof, High, ri- you know, buildings that go into the sky, high rises, mid rises, they're fireproof, and it's the contents that are burning. But we, st- we have buildings now that are being constructed, these, these, uh, you know, um, what was I talking about before, the 55 and older living, those mm-hmm. types of buildings where they're ordinary combustibles, Right. So, I mean, we. No doubt. No doubt. Talk about so, it. yeah,
1: Yeah. I, I mean, if you if you look at the buildings that are going up right now, I would venture to guess that one, maybe two stories on the bottom is going to be concrete.
0: Right. And those are going to be
1: mixed occupancy where they're going to try to put some type of business, some type of restaurant on the bottom floor, something that's uh, somewhat flashy so that residents will move into their building. Plus an you know, underground parking doesn't... garage.
0: Right. I mean, yeah. Park... Yeah.
1: Who doesn't want a coffee shop on the first floor that way they can just like walk you know down the elevator grab a coffee and then go back to their room i mean that's the stuff that's flashy but then like you said everything above that is going to be wood frame construction for the next you know three to four floors that are above that particular uh part of the build so it's something that i think a lot of us have had the opportunity to do now is fight a fire in one of these things while it's under construction yeah and those are absolutely like a conflagration for (laughs) lack of a better word off to
0: the races because
1: you cannot get enough water on those fires whenever they're still under construction so we have to recognize that is what's underneath and so we got to be judicious about knowing where the voids are knowing that just because you know we're looking at some type of compartmentalization uh that's representative of let's say like a 600 to 1,200 square foot apartment, um, when it's completed, these voids are going to throw it through multiple stories very quickly if we don't get on top of it. 100%. So we do have to have larger flows available than just simply relying on a 7 8 sip to do everything for us
0: yeah I, I I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I think that that's I think the cards are getting stacked against us more and more. And I also watch I'm not a big codes guy. I'm not a subcode guy. I don't know all the building codes. I don't know what's allowed not it's just not something I ever got involved with, right? But watching the construction that's happening and the the the, the uh, engineered lumber, the longer spans, the underground parking is so prevalent in my area now that the you know the first story below ground is is uh you know parking for vehicles and i think about mm-hmm. you know we've talked about even stretching in these parking garages underground right? You know, where they have one access point in, they might have ventilation on the other side, but ultimately our, you know, we're limited in our abilities to get apparatus closer. So now we're hand stretching through a parking deck underground whether they're under, you know, smoke condition and everything else. I mean, that's a challenge also. And I, and we talked about it earlier on another episode today. I actually recorded an episode earlier today and we talked about suburban and rural firefighting and just water supply and things like that. But, I brought up the k- topic, and I want to hear you talk about this too, because I think it's critical when we talk about hose and nozzle pairings. How important is it that we punch it in the face from the get? Like being able to have the right amount of water with the correct, the correct hose size and the correct nozzle tip to be able to punch that thing in the teeth as soon as we open that bale. It's critical, no?
1: Oh, no doubt. Absolutely it is. And uh, that's where... GPM is huge, yes, but it's what is our ability to put that GPM where it matters? Because I could sit here and talk about how awesome it is to have a portable monitor, let's say, like a 500 GPM monitor. Yeah, that can punch something in the face, but if I can not get that underneath the ceiling where it needs to go, right. then that 500 is wasted. Correct. So. That's where the mobility comes into these attack packages as well. And not limiting my firefighters to a particular stance or one particular way of holding this hose line for it to work correctly. So if we're looking at it as a holistic view, understanding that, yes, GPM matters, but what is my ability to apply water at the same time? That's where we really start to win, because water applied correctly is going to trump higher GPMs. All day long, hundred percent. And I mean, just look at the last fire that you saw, where you had a tower ladder flowing onto the roof that was still intact. Yes, you're flowing <laughs> a thousand GPM, but you're not impacting that fire go, at all.
0: It's so, going down the gutters.
1: <laughs> absolutely. So, um, yes, GPM is it's huge, and GPM is what puts out fires. But we also have to be able to get water where it where it needs to go to make an impact on that fire. So. Um, yeah, being being mobile with these options and being fast with these options is huge.
0: So give me—I'm not going to hold you to like a, a dedicated checkbox list, but checkbox <laughs> list. But give me a couple of considerations that people have to think about when looking at packages that are allowing us to go vertical for firefighting. I mean, what are some things that we, we mentioned? Building construction. We talked about building in the in the uh, you know the the lays of the hallway and the stretch length. What are some other things mm-hmm. that we need to think about um, for people that are listening that might think about, you know, we, we probably just raised a, a bunch of conversations and departments with this episode right now about like, hmm, what are we running right now? We don't go to fires every day there. We're not stretching in high rises every day. So the conversation is going to come up. And so my curious, you know, the next conversation then is what are some of the other things other than the building itself that we need to bring into consideration for when designing packages like this?
1: Uh, We got to consider how many people are going to be on scene in the first couple of minutes. You know, we got to consider how, how many packs can we expect one firefighter to carry? Uh, How many, you know, what else are we going to bog them down with? Are we going to bog them down with irons, with saws, with high rise kits, like all these things, because manpower is manpower and it's going to fatigue, you know? So if I'm going to ask these guys to, you know, carry hundreds of feet up the stairs, six seven stories that we got to consider what we're putting on their backs as well so um yeah weight matters with everything that we're doing in these buildings and we got to take things uh in stride there we can't just ask two guys to to carry the whole world on their shoulders and get it up to the fire floor yeah so be be judicious about what you're putting in and be strategic about what you're putting into your complement of hoses um other than that, water weight does matter. It, it absolutely matters. And this, it's seemingly insignificant changes in hose line sizes that will ultimately crush firefighters. And there's one slide that I use in a, in a presentation that I give where I kind of break down the difference between two and a half hose all the way up to, or all the way down to two-inch hose. And if we're just talking about nominal hose sizes, like true diameter hose sizes, you're talking about close to 136 pounds of water weight per 100 feet of hose for your two inch. And then jumping that up just to two and a half inch hose is up to 212 pounds of water weight per 100 feet of hose. So that is a huge difference when you're asking a minimal amount of individuals to, to do work on the fire floor. But like I said, the conversation just can't end there. Because yes, water weight matters, but I can't just say, okay, because Jonathan Brumley said that it's lighter, we're going to use two inch hose from now on. Well, no, we got to consider what are the stretch distances that we're going? What is that outlet going to give me in my territory? Because there's times where, no, we do not need two and a half inch flows. Right. But what we do need is the two and a half inch friction loss. And those are the types of things that need to be sorted out. And I think. Something that's that's just kind of coming into the scene lately is is mixing hose line sizes in a single stretch, and yes. that's something to consider as well. Um, but recognize that you know just because you know Cleveland does it, or just because FDNY does it, doesn't mean that your jurisdiction is going to get away with the same things. Um, so we have to we have to understand what flow is going to put out the fires in my territory and what's going to be the smallest hose line size that meets those needs. Um, and maybe I have to mix some hose line sizes to take full advantage of the staffing that I have um, throughout that process as well.
0: So let me, let me ask you this then too, operationally, uh, you know, uh, charged versus uncharged. What, what are your, I mean, whether you have a guideline in place or what's your rule of thumb when stretching on a building like this, multiple occupancy, longer hallways, What's your? I mean, obviously, we would always prefer to stretch uncharged line. It's just easier, obviously, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. with a with a you know a minimum staffed company that's getting that initial line in place. Give me some rules of thumb, things to think about, considerations when stretching drivers, stretching charged out of the stairwell or or down the hall.
1: Man, I don't have a specific number on what the exact breakdown between the two different types of stretches is going to be, but what people do have to realize is that I I would say it's probably close to 90 to 95% of the time we will be able to get away with stretching hose dry to a doorway where we can block fire. Got it. And so I, I had this conversation with a lieutenant of mine who has worked in downtown now for 20 plus years. And I asked him, I'm like, how many times have you had to charge your hose line in the stairwell? And he said, none. And that means something. And I think that if we took a poll across the country, the majority of individuals would say, you know what, I've probably only been on one or two fires where I had to charge my hose in the stairwell. So with that in mind, I think we can start recognizing that the two and a half or whatever hose line size that you choose that's bigger, isn't that scary because we've stretched all the way to the apartment door. We now just got to worry about a working length inside of that apartment and I'm pretty sure (laughs) that two to three guys can move 50 feet of hose.
0: Not only that, but the stream length alone will go right out the outdoor window from the door. (laughs) Absolutely,
1: absolutely. So people like to make it this big, scary monster. And you know what? The reality is, is if I have to charge the hose line in the stairwell, yes, we're going to have to work for that. And we're probably going to need a minimum of four, preferably six, to get that job done. Right. But 90 to 95% of the time, if not more than that, You are going to stretch this hose dry and we're really only going to be worried about moving fifty feet of hose from that point forward. And you know, I I can show people all day long how a single person is capable of moving fifty feet by themselves, even around a corner. Is that ideal? Absolutely not. But I like showing people that just because we like to make it so much more scary than it really is. Well, it's perspective. Yeah, if we can kind of change our perspective on that and recognize, you know, what our guys are capable of doing, so much more than this scary operation that we've trained people to to go to since you know fire academy, where we overpump the line and we try to blow an entire academy class off of a two and a half. Like it's not that operation at all, you know. Yeah. Uh, So I, I I like. I like giving people the opportunity to show what they're capable of doing.
0: No, I love that. And I, I that should be said, right? Cause I'm, I'm not going to fires in vertical buildings very often. Right. And so, you know, and, and you have been, and there's others that have, and when you talk to a boss of yours, that tells you now, you know what, probably 90% of the time we've never had, to, or I've never had to do that. Right. Like when you, when you have those real conversations and then you stretch effectively where you can get your nozzle and your first working length, you know, the first coupling up to the door, right? Then what are you really doing? I mean, you're going you're gonna to make entry and push with that line, and that line's going to give you that, that, you know, kick in the teeth you need to make entry into that apartment, if you will. And stream length matters, too. I, I listen to people talk about, you know, like pushing a line in the building, and I'm like, yeah, but that's stream length. Let the stream length work for you and get that, darken it down before you make that push, right? Like, it's, you have it at your advantage,
1: Absolutely. Even in a high heat environment, if I'm using an inch and an eighth tip of 265 gallons per minute, you know, at 50 PSI, I should expect to get 50 to 70 feet of stream reach. Right. And there is very few apartments that that won't go out the window like yeah. we were talking about. Yeah. Uh, granted, you know, we've, we've got to get a line in the bedrooms. We've got to get a line in the bathrooms sure. at that point. But stream reach from the hallway, you can hit the whole apartment.
0: Yeah. And then you make your push. You know, absolutely. Yeah, it's a good conversation, man. This is this has been a lot of fun because I I think it's going to hit home when we painting the picture from the get about how the sprawl is is hitting us. and, And I think you're dead on. I've been thinking about it since I asked you that question from the get about why it's become more and more prevalent. And I think you're absolutely right. I think people are realizing that it's important that we have packages that represent the makeup of our communities today. Certainly. Yeah. So what's, what else, what else in this topic that's important? I mean, we hit on a bunch of great things here. Um, You know, my, here's a, here's a question for you. Let me throw this one at you. You got a two or three, say it's a four story. um, And instead of stretching, do you ever, you ever stretch externally through the window or adjoining apartment or putting a leader line out and bringing it up that way? Or are you always, you know, as an audible play, Is that something that, you know, you guys talk about, have done, have seen, want to do? You know,
1: I think for us in our territory, we're looking for buildings that primarily that we could stretch from the hose bed. What are those buildings? And then beyond that, we can recognize, okay, so it's not going to work on this. And then plan A becomes going off of the outlet. I see those external stretches happening more and more if we're talking about putting multiple lines into service. And
0: 400-foot hallways.
1: And 400-foot hallway, certainly. But the, the thing is, like I said, if we're the first thing company, we're going to the FTC, and there's a good chance that fire could end up a half a block away on yeah. the other side of the building. Right. And so trying to stretch uh, – trying to perform a split stretch, let's say, where engineer brings hose around to that side of the building and we're dropping hose out of a window – Uh, that can be a slow process and that would take a significant amount of communication. And we're probably talking about getting another engine to that location. Um, And so, yeah, I think that that's definitely a possibility, but I see that happening more if we're talking about trying to get two and three lines into service, because we are so limited in one stairwell of what we can put into play. And so if we're talking about backup lines or we're talking about fire on multiple floors, that's where we should really be looking at those external stretches so that we're not bogging down a particular stairway um, with trying to put, I, I would say, even more than two lines in any one particular location.
0: Yeah. I know another another hot topic, too, and I'm not as well-versed. I, I hope to become this year. I want to take some classes and talk to some more people on the podcast about it, but the, the lithium-ion fires that are, are occurring every day now across this country and it's certainly in our urban settings, it's very prevalent um, just because of the amount of people and You know, we're talking tall buildings. We look at the FDNY, we look at there's going to be more window rescues. There's going to be more lifeline rescues on the external side of the building because a lot of these people are plugging in these units uh, right inside the front door of their apartment. And if they catch fire, they have nowhere to go. Their means of escape is cut. And so it should be said that as we're talking, the importance of getting into that fire apartment early right when you're doing that recon the search of that apartment life safety is critical especially in the fact that what we're seeing more and more of now where typically the means of egress is getting blocked by the initial stage of fire say if it's a lithium ion plugged in unit you know um are you seeing that in your territory are you catching any of those fires yet or no
1: I I think I've been on two at this point, one outside of the building and one inside of the building. Uh, So I I think many people have this in their, you know, bigger metropolitan areas where there's the motorized scooters everywhere you go. Right. And these people just come with this homemade trailer. They try to pick up a hundred of them. They take them back to the house, plug them into every single outlet. So uh, we have had one of those fires where thankfully it just ended up being a single scooter inside of a third floor apartment um, but then it we had another one where it got into um, a trash bin after it was thrown away um, it just continued to take off over and over and over no matter how much water you basically just have to keep things submerged if you don't want it to reignite yeah um, so yeah it, it's going to be something that we got to worry about more and more and more and it started with hoverboards and now it's into cars it's into scooters it's into every piece of electronics so I, it's here to stay
0: For sure. And I think it's going to up the I think it's going to up the fire responses that we're going to. And I think it's going to happen in suburbia. And I think it's going to certainly happen in the urban setting. And, uh, you know, I just like with Christmas this year, you know, you look at how many kids got something that has a lithium ion battery in it now. You know, whether it's a bike, a scooter. Right. And everything else in between. You know, the prevalence of of fires occurring from that are now greater as we introduce more of those items but where i was headed with that brother was just the fact that it's occurring typically in multiple occupancies and that's what we've been talking about today whether it's a mid-rise or high-rise and we're doing these you know uh, high-rise stretch if you will um it's certainly a grave concern because not only do we have to get the line in place you know get that line charged and get water onto that fire but we gotta you know we Mm -hmm. gotta get in there and look for people and you know, typically, absolutely. Typically, that's that's happening ahead of the line, right? As that company, oh, reco- definitely, yeah. And as that company recons, finds the fire apartment, makes the door, they got a search to do, and um, you know, so the expeditious nature of getting that line up there is critical. Critical.
1: So, I think if you look back in some of the textbooks, even that I read early on, you would see something like twenty to twenty-five minutes of reflex time is acceptable for a high-rise fire. And the truth is, it's not acceptable at all. Like, you have to be so much faster.
0: That's than that. a crazy number, man. <laughs> and
1: so, And I think that there are fire departments out there who are operating with that as their baseline, where they may send the first engine to do recon at the panel. They're still waiting on second and third engines to do fire attack. We may not walk upstairs until we have a fire attack team all together in terms of like multiple engines and a truck like we cannot wait we have to p- get people up onto that floor ready to operate as fast as possible and that doesn't just happen by reading a textbook no. <laughs> we ha- we have to get out and we have to train on these things we've got to recognize that that first engine has to get to the fire floor as quickly as possible we've got to get somebody to do some recon ahead of the line um that We've got to get a number in our head. Of what is acceptable in terms of the number of seconds that it takes us to go floor to floor with all of these gears and have these numbers in our head to get true numbers on reflex time? Because I'm promising you that waiting a half an hour to get water on the fire is
0: not it in no. these situation. No, that's never, that's never the right conversation to have. Never. So... That's good, man. What a what a great conversation. What else you got for me? You got anything else? We got a few minutes left, man. What's new- oh man? What I, I just love. I love talking about this. I, I could Go all day long. No, I but, know. Uh, it, it's been a really good conversation. And um, what's what's new for you? What's next for you? What do you got going on? Anything exciting?
1: Uh, I'll be teaching in the Woodlands, Texas, uh, here in a couple of weeks. Going over two and a half operations.
0: What a uh, so great
1: right it. Just
0: what a great department. Up.
1: Oh man, it's been it's been a lot of fun working with those guys. Uh, I actually lived about ten minutes away from there, uh, so it'll be awesome to get back down there after about four years.
0: Their training uh, and chief, and
1: see all those guys.
0: Uh, I can't think of his name, and I feel terrible. I did this once before with him too. I can't remember his name, but their training <laughs> chief is a younger guy who is so into training, and he's done such great work for them down there. And uh, I met him. We did the Joey D conference at the Woodlands uh, training center and uh, what a great experience that was in their department, man, they are dialed in. It's a good group of dudes.
1: Absolutely. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to uh, being with those guys. And then, uh, man, I had a very busy 2022, so I'm going to slow it down a little bit in the spring. Uh, Maybe give me some time to work on getting promoted to a different position. Um, And then probably pick it up summer fall of 2023
0: i do know how much you love the nozzle though we've talked about it and i (laughs) i know that grin that huge grin that you have man i've seen it so that uh Uh, we being a boss i haven't done
1: everything on the man i haven't done everything on the fire ground but i don't think that i will ever find anything better than putting water on the fire as the nozzleman so uh yeah promotion hopefully will be in my future at some point but uh Oh. For now, I'll enjoy where I'm
0: at. Well, that's awesome, man. I'm sure it's very well-deserved. And, uh, man, I just appreciate you joining me. I don't want to keep you much longer because I know your kids are jumping up and down, ready to go sled riding and so on. But, man, what a great conversation today. I think it's going to hit home with a lot of people, and I think a lot of people are going to go back to their companies and, and review their hose and nozzle packages for uh, high-rise and mid-rise fires. And, um, you know, the conversation of sprawl and, and the growth of our communities – And we got to make sure our host packages uh, represent the stretches we might be doing tonight. So uh, great conversation, man. Jonathan Brumley, freaking rock star as always. I appreciate you. Um, Where can people reach out to you? Where can they find you if they want to continue the conversation or look up what you're doing or where you're going to be next?
1: Man, probably the easiest way to get a hold of me is through Messenger. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, Check that. Somewhat often I can give you my personal number. It's 970 405 eight nine six three um so please reach out through either one of those things uh just recently it's official the firefight llc
0: (laughs) nice Uh, i didn't think i'd
1: ever do that uh but that's the reality of today um so look me up uh it's actually two different branches of of it i have the firefight training um on instagram and i have the firefight leathers where uh do a little bit of helmet work on the side as well oh very cool Uh, so reach out through either of reach out through either of those things um, as well. And we'll have a conversation and I'll, I'll just kind of fin- wrap up the whole conversation with like, I'm not telling you what the best plan is for you guys without knowing who, you, what you're operating with, your buildings, all those things, but have a plan because to just ignore it is not going to work. <laughs> and so uh, please reach out to the people that you know um, who who have quality information on this reach out to me more than willing to help out with, with this conversation.
0: I love that, man. I appreciate that. And just being on the show tonight, you know, goes a long way in your commitment to bettering the job and, you know, sharing your insights and ideas. Uh, It means the world. And uh, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I always love talking shop with you. And I thought tonight was a great conversation. So thank you absolutely
1: so happy to
0: do it yeah good well hang right here don't go yet let me just sign out of this podcast and then uh, i'm gonna hop right back to you before you go sledding all right
1: sounds good cool
0: everybody thanks for tuning in for another episode of the national fire radio podcast jonathan brumley an engine company guy through and through a great topic tonight about hose and nozzle pairings for mid-rise high-rise firefighting extended stretches you name it It was a good conversation. Uh, So do me a favor. Conversation's important. It influences the job, and it makes the job better. So go back to your firehouse and talk about it, because as we talk about the job, we're making the job better. We'll see you at the next one. Thanks for tuning in. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.
1: National Fire Radio.